Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about common prenatal fitness myths. We're going to debunk a lot of these myths and also explain why they became a myth and misconception with prenatal fitness. We're also going to discuss why not exercising is not a better safe than starting mentality because there could be harm to not moving your body throughout your pregnancy. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit Podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Stay Fit Podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. Welcome to the Mama Safe Fit Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be debunking a lot of myths that are associated with prenatal fitness from does exercise cause miscarriage? Is it going to cause your baby to be really small? Is it going to increase your risk of C-section? And so we're going to address a lot of these myths that you may be hearing that may be deterring you from wanting to exercise. Because when you're constantly being told all the things to not do throughout your pregnancy, especially when it comes to prenatal fitness, it can make you really scared to exercise throughout your pregnancy. So first, let's start with what the ACOG recommendation is for exercise throughout your pregnancy. And ACOG is the governing bodies of obstetrics. And this is just a general recommendation. And it's the minimum recommendation, which is 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise. Now, this is the minimum recommendation to do throughout your pregnancy. Studies that have looked at prenatal fitness and exercising throughout your pregnancy have really found that to be kind of the minimum requirement. And really doing more than that can be really beneficial both for you and for your baby. And so let's start by breaking down some of the benefits of exercising for you and for your baby during pregnancy so that you can understand that the notion of, well, it's better to be safe than sorry, which means like you shouldn't exercise because if you exercise, you know, there's always that chance that something bad can happen. So you just avoid it is actually potentially harmful because if we don't exercise, it could cause more issues for us during our pregnancy one, just with our comfort, but it also could affect how your baby's developing and how your birth even goes. So first, let's talk about the benefits for baby, because I think a lot of the focus is on us, but a lot of people do get really motivated during their pregnancy to exercise because they're thinking about all the benefits for their baby. And there are a lot of really good ones. The first is it's going to help increase your baby's blood volume, which means that your baby's going to have more oxygen. They're going to have more oxygen reserves, which is going to help them be a lot more resilient towards stress. So in addition to having higher blood volume, which is going to allow your baby to better transport oxygen and nutrients throughout their body, in addition to removing metabolic waste, this higher blood volume is going to help them be more resilient to stress in addition to different factors that are happening when you're exercising. So your baby is kind of exercising with you when you work out, which is helping them to be more resilient to stress. Other things that are happening when you're exercising throughout your pregnancy is that your baby's brain is developing more, their nervous system is developing more because it's being stimulated by this additional stress from exercise. And so that translates to your baby having better cognitive skills, better language skills throughout the first year of life into like the elementary years. And so there's a lot of benefits for your baby if you exercise throughout your pregnancy. Additionally, if you exercise during the first half of your pregnancy, your placenta can be larger. And because it's larger, it has an increased functional capacity, which means that your placenta may be working better, which may be contributing towards managing your baby's size more effectively. And maybe what's helping to contribute towards that brain development and that nervous system development. So there is a concern during prenatal fitness that if you exercise, your baby's going to be way too small or even the opposite, if you exercise, your baby's going to be way too big. So Roxanne, can you talk more about what a too big baby is or a really small baby is and factors that may be contributing towards that? So we'll go with the small babies first. So these are either small for gestational age or SGA, or it can be even more severe of intrauterine growth restriction. So IUTR. This means that these are two like just smaller babies. And ideally, like we want everything to be growing symmetrically. So like babies' heads are always going to be like a little bit bigger than the rest of their bodies. Like it's just what babies are. But like it should be symmetrical for like a baby. 
But with IUGR, there are different types of IUGR where there is symmetrical and asymmetrical. And asymmetrical IUGR means that there is some sort of stressor that is affecting the amount of blood supply and oxygen that they're getting during pregnancy that caused them to shunt the blood away from like non-vital bodily organs and that this causes asymmetrical growth because they're shunting a lot of blood to those vital organs. So like their legs are not part of that. So like they'll have skinnier legs. Their like brain will be larger, so they'll have like an even bigger head in comparison to their body. Their lungs are not a vital organ during utero, so their lungs potentially could be a little bit smaller, but their heart will be larger. And then like there are different like organs that will be a little bit either larger or smaller, causing this asymmetrical growth. And this is like alarming for your provider when they do those scans and they see like this huge difference because that means that there is some sort of stressor for that baby. For IUGR that's symmetrical or just an SGA or small for gestational age baby, this could be because that they're either just meant to be small like there always has to be something on that one range like there is an average for a reason where some babies are smaller and some babies are larger but with SGA and IUGR they want to make sure that they're maintaining a certain curve if they start dropping off that curve this could mean that this baby is not growing optimally in the womb and it would be better if the, for them to like be born sooner rather than later because they're not going to be able to develop as well inside of the womb than outside because that placenta potentially isn't working or like something else is going on that's causing them not to grow with small babies, they also might just not have a lot of brown fat on their bodies because they're just smaller. And brown fat is a really big help for like blood sugar and like helping them stabilize their blood sugars. So there are a lot of things like when they're too small that it could impact how they're going to be cared for when they're outside of the womb. The other spectrum of like a baby that's too large. So these are babies that are like gestational diabetes um, or just like you potentially could just have a larger babies. The concern with them is shoulder dystocia. So if a baby is head is born and then the shoulders don't follow soon after, this would be a shoulder dystocia. This is a obstetric emergency due to potentially there being compression on the, the neck. When the baby's head is born, if the rest of the body doesn't come, there could be a lot of pressure on the neck, decreasing the amount of blood that is going to the brain. So like they're still having blood flow throughout their body, but there's not oxygen going to their brain, which can lead to brain damage with prolonged shoulder dystocia. So with shoulder dystocia, the biggest thing is with gestational diabetes, these babies are not just like proportionally larger so like their head is larger and their whole body's larger with gestational diabetes they're also like really broad shoulder and this is due to insulin being like released causing those like broader shoulders because it is also a growth hormone in a way so like you're releasing all of this insulin the baby's releasing the insulin to deal with the elevated blood sugars and then that insulin is also causing excessive growth in the baby but particularly in these like shoulder areas which makes it harder for the head comes out but then that shoulder cut doesn't fit um, so these are things that potentially can cause issues most of the time though we're not going to grow a baby that's too large for our bodies some people can have 11 pound babies and that is normal for them and they're able to birth them without any sort of issues some people like if you are 4'2 and your husband is like five foot like the likelihood of you having a 10 pound baby or even maybe a seven pound baby potentially just could be like abnormal for you, you could just make five pound babies because that's just what your baby is. So there is like the size portion is not necessarily always a negative or like a sign of an issue when it is an issue for like being too large if there is like gestational diabetes associated with that or even like type one or type two diabetes, like pre-existing diabetes, that would be concerning for those larger babies. And then if there is an issue with baby being too small, is it because this growth curve is showing that all of a sudden your baby was on one trajectory of growth of like 50th percentile, let's just say, and that all of a sudden now your baby is the 10th percentile? That is an indicator of some sort of issue. So the good news is exercising throughout your pregnancy can help you manage your baby's weight within an optimal level for them or help them to grow symmetrically so that if they are on the smaller side or they are on the larger side, it's not due to a complication or to an issue. 
So with IUGR, your placenta function tends to be more optimal because of exercises throughout your pregnancy. So the likelihood of having that is a little bit lower. And then same for the opposite end. Having a baby that's too large is a little bit lower if you're exercising throughout your pregnancy because those babies tend to be a lot leaner. Like they still have the same size stomach and chest and head that a normal baby does but they're just a little bit skinnier and they have more muscle mass to them because you've been exercising throughout your pregnancy. In addition to thinking about our baby's size, exercising throughout your pregnancy can reduce the likelihood of you developing gestational diabetes by like 40 or 50%. And so that could take away one risk factor as well from your baby being too large just by exercising throughout your pregnancy. Another benefit for babies that we have seen for exercise is that it can help them be more resilient during labor, potentially. There are signs of stress in a baby during labor, and that is passing meconium and then also something called erythropoietin. This is a hormone that we release in our bodies that stimulates the production of red blood cells. So in times of decreased oxygen, this is when we release this erythropoietin to increase that red blood cell production because that is what is carried the oxygen throughout our bodies. So for instance, people who live at a higher altitude, there is less oxygen, so they have a higher amount of erythropoietin. And some people will even call it like EPO. Some people will even like take EPO if they're like an athlete because having more blood can like make you do better in athletics or they'll train in higher altitude so that their body produces this erythropoietin because of that creates a lower oxygen state to release and make more red blood cells. But for babies, one, they already have an elevated erythropoietin level just naturally compared to us because they live in a lower oxygen state inside of the womb. They don't need a higher oxygen state in the womb. But in times of stress during labor, when oxygen is even lower, they potentially can create more erythropoietin to create more red blood cells in that stressful moment, which is labor is the most stressful moment of pregnancy. And studies have shown that babies whose moms worked out during their pregnancy had lower levels of erythropoietin after birth compared to people who did not. So at the beginning of labor and at the end of labor, they measured babies' hormone levels and they found that the levels of this were a lot lower, demonstrating that they were really resilient to the stressors of labor in comparison to babies whose moms did not exercise throughout pregnancy. And same with the meconium. So meconium is released during times of stress and babies whose parents worked out during pregnancy had lower incidence of meconium compared to others. With meconium, though, it's not always released during times of stress. Sometimes the babies just run out of room inside their bowels and it's going to come out. So if your baby has meconium, don't be super stressed during labor like I was when they tell you that there is meconium. Because again, they just sometimes will run out of room, especially if you give birth closer to either a pasture due dates or closer to like 42 weeks. So let's break down some of the benefits for you. So we just broke down a bunch of benefits for your baby by you exercising throughout your pregnancy. So hopefully you can understand that not exercising throughout your pregnancy, there's no harm done or this is a completely safe option because there are so many benefits for your baby from you exercising. And so better safe than sorry mentality is not an accurate thing to do when it comes to prenatal fitness. Some benefits for you is first, it can delay the onset or even completely omit the occurrence of some prenatal complications. So complications like gestational diabetes or gestational hypertension and preeclampsia potentially could be delayed where it's going to like appear in your pregnancy, especially if you had it in previous pregnancies. You can work out during this next one and potentially it won't show up until like late in your third trimester potentially because preeclampsia and gestational hypertension can affect baby's growth in the placenta. So if you're working out during that first trimester to increase your placenta size and placental function, this can offset some of the effects of preeclampsia and gestational hypertension potentially. With gestational diabetes, again, it might not like prevent it from presenting at all during your pregnancy, but it can help manage those blood sugars because exercise in general just helps us regulate our blood sugars just naturally. So even if it does appear during your pregnancy, you may be able to just manage it with exercise and diet versus having to be put on medication. Another thing that exercising throughout your pregnancy can do for you is it can, one, help you be more comfortable throughout your pregnancy because movement tends to really help us decrease a lot of pelvic girdle pain, some of that low back pain, even round ligament pain. And so the more that you're kind of moving your body and changing the position of your hips and your ribcage can really benefit a more comfortable pregnancy. 
Additionally, exercise throughout your pregnancy can help you recover a little bit faster on the postpartum period because we have a lot of muscle memory. And so you've been moving throughout your pregnancy, you pause for your month or two after you give birth, and then you can resume fitness in a state that's a little bit less deconditioned than if you had done nothing throughout your entire pregnancy, went through the trauma of birth, and then did nothing for two months. It's just going to allow you to recover a little bit easier in the postpartum period because you have more of that muscle mass. Your tissues and your muscles are a lot denser. Your bones are going to be denser because this is going to help to prevent the occurrence of osteoporosis later in life as well. So there are tons of benefits to exercising throughout your pregnancy for the postpartum period as well. When it comes to birth, exercising throughout your pregnancy could help you have a faster labor and also could help to decrease the risk of C-section and instrument-assisted delivery where a provider is using forceps or vacuum to help your baby be born. Some of them may be due because you have more endurance and you don't have to worry about maternal fatigue, which is one of the things that may contribute towards having to have assistance when you're giving birth to your baby. Staying upright and moving a lot more can help your baby kind of wiggle and rock to your pelvis, which could prevent labor stalls, which may be why it helps to decrease the risk of C-section. And so there are tons of benefits to exercising throughout your pregnancy, both for you and for your baby. And so again, this better safe than sorry mentality is not actually an accurate thing. Like, it could potentially be harmful to not move your body regularly throughout your pregnancy. And now this is not me saying that you have to lift weights throughout your pregnancy, even though there's tons of benefits to resistance training, but moving your body regularly, either with yoga, with walking, with whatever exercise feels good for you in your body can be super beneficial. And you can receive a lot of those benefits of the reduction in risk of prenatal complications just from doing aerobic activity. So just going for walks like two, three times a week can reduce the occurrence of different complications. So now let's dive into the myths associated with prenatal fitness and why there is this fear of like, well, what is safe? What can I do during pregnancy? Like all of a sudden now I'm pregnant. So all of the things that I was doing before, I cannot do anymore. Why? What are these myths? So I think the first two big ones that caused a lot of people to be very scared of exercise that their pregnancy is one, the myth of exercise can cause miscarriage and two, it can cause preterm labor. And so we already addressed how exercise is not really going to influence your baby's size in a negative way, but there is concern that it could impact the pregnancy length by either having it stop in the early part of the pregnancy or have the pregnancy end a little bit sooner than we were planning. And so first of all, this is false. Exercise does not cause miscarriage and it does not cause preterm labor. This has been like reinforce repeatedly in different research studies that exercise does not cause miscarriage and it does not cause you to go into labor too soon. And so when it comes to miscarriage, the majority of miscarriages happen due to a chromosomal abnormality. So there's just something wrong with the baby that the pregnancy was just not going to continue no matter what you did or what you didn't do. So there was nothing that you can do to prevent this pregnancy loss. And so when there is this like myth that if you exercise, it's going to cause miscarriage, even though there was nothing that you could have done to have caused that miscarriage or even to prevent it, regardless of what you do, this is putting in like a burden on you of guilt where you're like, well, because I exercised, everyone's been telling me that that's associated with pregnancy loss. So I caused my miscarriage. And so I'm at fault and I'm responsible for this. And so not only are you mourning your pregnancy loss, now you're putting blame on yourself because of this myth. And it's not true. Like this is not a true myth. And it frustrates me when I see people being having this push on them, like, oh, you shouldn't exercise in your first trimester, or you shouldn't tell anybody that you're pregnant until you're in the all clear in the second trimester. You can tell people when you're pregnant whenever you want to. There is no, like, set timeline that you must do it. Um, but you don't have to be afraid to let people join in on any sort of joy that you're experiencing. Um, you may want to limit it to who, like, certain people within your life. You know, you don't need to announce it on social media right away. But know that there is nothing that you could do that could cause a miscarriage. And there's probably nothing that you could do to prevent one either, which can be a feeling of like, it's really hard to feel kind of, or it's easy to feel helpless in that feeling of like, well, what can I do to prevent it? But know that exercise is not one of those things. If anything, exercising in your first trimester can be super beneficial because a lot of those benefits start in the first trimester, especially like the placenta development. Starting in the first trimester can be super beneficial for that. The other one will be preterm labor. Like if you exercise or if you jump too much or you go running, like it's going to cause preterm labor. I think this may come from the notion of like if you are having preterm labor or there is a complication going off your pregnancy that your provider may die, like prescribe bed rest for you where you just lay in bed and do nothing. There is a lot of like 
I think, debate. I think research says that bed rest is not beneficial, um, but there are still some providers that do, like, prescribe it because, again, it's that same better safe than sorry mentality. But, again, it's not necessarily the safer option because if you're immobile, the risk of blood clots occur. You're also in a more deconditioned state. And so you're going into labor with less fitness, and there's more complications that could occur from that. So bed rest has not been shown to prevent somebody who's already in preterm labor from going into labor any sooner or later. And so the notion that exercise causes preterm labor may be kind of correlated with bed rest. And so if you are somebody who's in a situation your provider is recommending bed rest, you may want to just have a more in-depth conversation with them on like what they mean by that. Do they just mean like don't go to your CrossFit gym and do like a PR or do they mean like don't move at all? Like understanding like what they mean by that can be really beneficial um, because there may be a misunderstanding between the two of you on the benefits of what's going on with your pregnancy. Most of the time when providers are prescribing bed rest, you're either like most likely going to be in a hospital setting at that point. So for instance, like if you think about the reasoning behind the bed rest is that they want you a lot of the time in the hospital, they used to put people almost in Trendelenburg, which is like your butt is above your head because gravity, obviously we are on this earth. Gravity is a very strong force. And in their minds they are like, if we put them upside down, gravity is going to pull the baby and keep the baby inside. And this was a thought and it made sense in everyone's minds. And even to this day, like if someone shows up to the hospital at like 27 weeks, their water has broke, they're dilating, like we will still put them in an upside down position because we're like, it'll maybe give them a couple more minutes to get to a place that this baby can be taken care of. Because not every hospital can take care of like premature babies. So it still is going to happen in some instances. But if you show up in preterm labor and we tell you to stay in bed, it's not going to prevent your baby from like being born. It's mostly just to like give you a few more minutes potentially to stay pregnant to give your baby a better chance. If they're sending you home on bed rest, this could be a little bit different um, reasonings why. It could be due to preterm labor where you've had a couple episodes of contractions prematurely. And so like activity, you can sometimes cause irritability of the uterus. So they usually won't prescribe bed rest anymore. Most of the time, it's just like limited activity. Like you still need to like get up out of bed. Like you can do your normal daily activities within your house. Like if you go for a tiny short walk, that's usually fine. But it's like you're not going to be able to go on like a 30-minute run or like go to the gym and work out like strenuous activity um, like during pregnancy. It's normally not like full-on bed rest anymore like in a bed unless potentially maybe your blood pressure is like insanely uncontrolled and for some reason they sent you home. Usually bed rest would be um, recommended in those situations. But it is very rare that I see someone who is like strictly bedridden during their pregnancy for whatever reasons. It's mostly like you can do like some things around the house and you can do movement because again, like if you just lay in one position for a long period of time, like this is actually, this could cause more harm and studies do support that actually. If you are not strong, like going into labor, labor is going to be a lot harder on your body. So I do want to clarify that there are some complications during your pregnancy where exercise is not a good idea. If you should be having a baby because you're in severe preterm labor, you have severe preeclampsia, like those would not be good times to go and work out by any means. If you're like having um, vaginal bleeding. Yeah, like there are there are complications. Don't go to the gym. <laughs> like there are complications where exercise is not is not recommended. Um, and those would definitely be things that you want to have like a really good conversation with your provider about. And we'll link a really good study down in the show notes that kind of breaks down a lot of different complications and what research is currently saying and how that current research may not be completely aligned with current guidelines. And so that if you do have a complication that you're not sure whether or not you should exercise, you can bring this study to your provider and be like, hey, I would like to have a conversation on recommendations on things that I can continue to do during my pregnancy to keep me and my baby safe while also still moving my body in a productive way. This is what research currently says. Are you willing to have a conversation with me? So I think placenta previa is probably the most common complication that we get questions about because most people will say, oh, if you have placenta previa, yeah. no working out. Don't do anything. Don't lift anything. 
when research does not necessarily support that if you are not having any complications associated with your placenta previa. So there are some complications that exercise is is not is contraindicated, but in most situations you can continue to move your body in a productive way. And again, you don't have to go lift super heavy weights. You can just move your body however feels good for you. Another myth that we get this we get this one a lot is you have to keep your heart rate at this certain level to be safe. And it's like a made-up number. It varies depending on the person. Sometimes it's 120. Like, there's no set number. It's not based on anything. I think the thought is that it's going to keep you at a lower intensity level. But the problem is heart rate fluctuates so much during pregnancy because our blood volume is changing. So, like, in the first trimester, it's significantly higher versus the third trimester or maybe vice versa for you. But typically, it's a lot higher in the first trimester, a lot lower in the third trimester. And so if we're doing our heart rate as our gauge for how hard or easy we should go in our workout, it's not going to be super accurate. It also depends on like your hydration status, how much sleep you've had, just your age or genetics. And so this like made up heart rate number is not an accurate gauge to keep you quote unquote safe with your prenatal workouts. Um, if anything, like we do want to work out at a moderate intensity level, which is still a good intensity level. Like we're still like sweating and working hard. And so different things that you can do to help you know that you're working out at like a good intensity level is first, I do want to say vigorous intensity exercise is typically okay. Like again, unless you got some crazy complication, like you can still work out pretty hard during your pregnancy. There may be a point in the third trimester when you do want to taper off a little bit. If you think about like training for a big competition, like if I was getting ready to go to state championship, I don't want to be like crushing my workouts the day before the race. Like if you're about to run a marathon, don't run 26 miles the day before. So like there is a little bit of tapering a third trimester, but you can still work out pretty vigorously throughout your pregnancy if, if that feels good for you. Now to work out at a moderate intensity level, if you were doing like cardio activity, we want to think you can use like a talk test, which is I can speak like one or two sentences before I get winded. And that's like a good gauge of like you're working at a moderate intensity level. If you can do like one or two words, you're probably working at like a high intensity level. You may be doing a little bit too much at that point. If you're like having a full-blown conversation, like walk a little faster. Like you need to, you need to pick <laughs> on the pace. It's too easy, too easy. Uh, when it comes to lifting, I usually recommend lifting anywhere from like a 70 to like 80% range in the first and second trimester. And about a 50 to 70 in the third trimester, just because we're like a little bit lower on energy in the third trimester. And we are wanting to do that taper as we move towards birth. And so what a 70% intensity level feels like with lifting is you are feeling challenged with the lift. You feel like you can maintain really good form with every single rep. And you maybe have like a few left in the tank. So if it was like 10 reps, you feel like you can do like 12 or 13 before you started to feel your form deteriorate. Really at no point during prenatal workouts and lifts should you feel like you need to bail the bar. If that's the case, you're probably lifting a little bit too heavy for pregnancy. And there's a lot more about like how you're lifting during pregnancy and why we don't necessarily want to do super heavy weights because our stabilization is a little bit different. We have more laxity within our joints. And so there's a lot to it. And so generally I recommend about a 70 to 80 percent for lifting during the first and second trimester and 50 to 70 in the third trimester. Um, so those are two ways to help you know that you are working out at a good intensity level for you is you can either use a talk test or you can kind of gauge the weight that you're using. And a big thing with prenatal fitness is kind of tuning into your own body. And so just kind of focusing on this arbitrary number of heart rate of like, oh, I have to be less than 140 is not a really good indicator for how you're feeling in your body. And there's so much opportunity to connect with the experience that's happening within our body during pregnancy that can really continue through birth and into the postpartum period. And so paying attention to how you're feeling is a much better gauge of intensity level as opposed to heart rate. So with hydration, one of the things that we also need to be thinking about is not just drinking water, but also replenishing our electrolytes, trace minerals on all of the things that are also within our system. And so one of the electrolyte supplements that I personally love, needed with all of their products, are very intentional with their dosages for the amount of anything that they put in, as well as like the sourcing of those ingredients. And so needed, we trust with everything, but with their hydration support, especially 
actually, they're very intentional with the dosages and the amounts of the electrolytes to be the amount that we actually need within our body. There are some electrolyte companies that are out there that they have like all of those electrolytes, but you might need to drink like two or three of them to get these optimal levels. And some of the other ones, it might end up being too much when you drink two or three of them. Whereas needed, I find that I can drink one to two in a day and I can feel the effects like they're sweetened with real fruit though. So they do have a subtle flavor. So if you really like sugar, these ones may not be the one for you. Um, you can always mix two of them and they will add more flavor. But I personally love the grapefruit though. One, it's pink. So it makes me feel really fancy when I'm drinking it because it's pink. Um, it's like colored with like beetroot. But I love the flavor of grapefruit and it's very subtle. So we need to be drinking water just for pelvic floor function um, before we drink our coffee in the morning. Hydrate before you caffeinate. But... It's hard. I don't like the taste of water. So I love needed hydration support first thing in the morning, especially to get my glass of water in with a little flavor. But it's not like a slap in the face by some like sugar Gatorade type like drink. That's too much. That's too much first thing in the morning. Honestly, it probably would defeat the purpose, I think, of hydrating before you caffeinate with just a sugar drink. But I've been really loving the grapefruit drink before I drink my coffee to one. I feel a little bit more refreshed when I do it it's like subtle and the perfect amount of sweetness and then we just add collagen to our coffee to give ourselves some protein while we're drinking our caffeine <laughs> also needed <laughs> collagen so if you're interested in needed use code mama stay pod to get 20 percent off your first order or your first three months of subscription another really fun one that i've heard is if you lift your arms overhead your umbilical cord will wrap around your baby's head or its neck so first of all, the umbilical cord wrapping around your baby is really not as big of a deal as you may believe. So the umbilical cord has something called Wharton's jelly within it that is like providing cushion and preventing like when something is compressing it from it being so compressed that blood supply is like cut off completely from like within the cord pretty much. So there are cases where the cord was in a knot. So they're called true knots in the cord and the provider was just like pushing it up and down because that Wharton's jelly provided so much cushion that could not like be so tight that it was cutting off the circulation through the cord for baby. So that is a like mechanism to protect baby is that Wharton's jelly. But also this Wharton's jelly, if like baby gets like a nuchal cord around its neck, that's still protecting the blood vessels within the cord, but it's also usually going to protect like the cord from getting too tight around a baby's neck as well. Like there are so many like ways that the umbilical cord can wrap around a baby and some umbilical cords are insanely long where like they're wrapped around the baby's like body, foot, neck, like it's just insane. I think I actually watched a birth video recently where the umbilical cord was wrapped around the baby's neck like three or four times and baby was born vaginally. There are instances where potentially they might have like certain decelerations due to that like nuchal cord as baby is coming out or in certain instances where baby will be breached because of the, the nuchal cords and like the, the baby just isn't going to probably turn because of those. And that modern medicine is there for a reason. It's great when needed. Most of the time, nuchal cords that are present have no influence on the birth outcomes. And like babies are fine when they have nuchal cords. My daughter had a nuchal cord when she was born. Um, I'm pretty sure Adeline had a body cord when she was born. So like it's going to get wrapped up, especially like when the baby's small and they're like just kind of swimming around in the uterus and the umbilical cord can kind of get a little wrapped up. And sometimes they can have a nuchal cord one day and then they just like swim out of it because they live in a pool of water in your belly, and then the next day they don't have a nuchal cord. So, And so lifting your arms overhead will not cause your umbilical cord to wrap around your baby. I don't know where that myth came it's from. Like, it's, I think it's like it's like a cultural, tale. It's a cultural thing, too. It's like don't do handstands and don't lift your head above your, like your arms above your head because that'll cause that to happen. But like even if it did, it's not a big deal. So I will say, though, lifting your arms overhead or pressing weight overhead, there is something that you do need to be concerned with is coding. And so whenever we press our weight overhead, there sometimes is a tendency to arch in your back a little bit more, which is going to stretch the abdominal muscles a little bit more, which makes them thinner and more susceptible to pressure. 
And so when you're pressing weight overhead and you're exhaling to like press the weight, it could cause some abdominal coning, which is like the center of the abdomen is pushing out a little bit further than the rest of the abdominal wall. And this could be problematic for like diastasis or that abdominal separation. So the more we're kind of pushing really hard into this thin tissue, the more damage it can potentially get. In an episode we did a few weeks ago on diastasis, we talk a lot more about coning. We have a ton of YouTube videos all about like what coning is and how to prevent it with exercise. We even have a whole video on how to prevent it with overhead movements. But pressing your hands overhead potentially could increase the likelihood of coning just based on the shoulder mobility and like your movement pattern. But it will not cause your baby to tangle itself within its umbilical cord. If that just happens to randomly happen, it's usually not a complication that you need to be concerned about. Another big myth that I will typically hear, I usually hear this more from like the birth worker side where like doulas are really upset that their clients are doing CrossFit or like a provider. Usually it's more of like a midwife that's like upset that somebody's lifting weights and they're concerned about their pelvic floor is that if you lift weights throughout your pregnancy, it's going to cause you to have a C-section because it's caused your pelvic floor to be super tight. Now, People can have really tight pelvic floors that never lift weights ever. They can be dancers. They can be gymnasts. They can be horseback riders. They can be yogis. Like, they can do non-impact activities and have a really tight pelvic floor. You can literally just sit around and have a really tight pelvic floor. So it's not necessarily correlated specifically to lifting weights. And if anything, lifting weights throughout your pregnancy has a lot of benefits. Now, if you only do movement in one plane, so you only do front to back type movements, which is known as a sagittal plane, where you only emphasize external rotation and extension. So you're only doing squats and deadlifts and overhead presses and snatches and cleans and everything is front to back, front to back, front to back. Or with your yoga poses, you only do hip openers and chest openers, hip openers and chest openers. Everything is open, open, open. Like you're a dancer, everything is like feet out, feet out. So if you're always emphasizing the same type of movement pattern over and over and over again, you will probably have a tight pelvic floor. Not the whole thing, just portions of it that are a little important because we want the pelvic floor to be able to lengthen and to move. And so if you are exercising throughout your pregnancy, whatever your sport is, you just want to ensure that we're moving in all three planes of motion, which is giving your body and your joints an opportunity to change positions. And so we want to do front to back tight movement patterns, so those squats and those deadlifts. But we also want to do lateral movement, so moving side to side in that frontal plane, so like lateral band walks, like movements where the hip is rotating, so like split squats where you're rotating from internal to external rotation. So we're thinking like side to side type movements. And then we also want to do rotational movement in the transverse plane, so rotating and twisting your body, which is another myth that you should never twist, which is super important to do. We have a whole YouTube video on why twisting is important. Twisting in the rib cage and in the hips are crucial to help support your pelvic stability, which is going to help have you help you have a more comfortable pregnancy. And so when we rotate, it's helping to change the pelvic position to allow the pelvic joints to better form clothes on themselves. So they better align to compress during movement. And so when you walk, your pelvis halves should kind of rotate with one another and kind of torque as you take steps. And we want that twisting to happen because, again, it allows those pelvic joints to stabilize a lot better. If your pelvis is more stable, the pelvic floor is going to be able to release and it's going to be able to function better. The rotation is also going to help to lengthen the glute, which is going to help it move a lot better and strengthen a lot more. In addition, it's also going to help you open your pelvis for birth, which is a huge thing. So twisting, very important throughout pregnancy. Now, I would say I would avoid super deep abdominal compressions because they're probably not comfortable. They don't do like the detox yoga class kind of thing. Massage your bowels. Like let's not get crazy with it, but you can absolutely twist in your spine, rotate in your hips. Your belly can push into your thigh. That's okay. Like if it's uncomfortable, again, a lot of prenatal fitness is about connecting to what your body is telling you and listening and honoring that. So you can absolutely twist your body during pregnancy. So to go back to that initial myth, lifting weights during your pregnancy will not equal C-section. However, if you only lift weights in one plane of motion, like you only do squats and deadlifts and you only do cleans and snatches and everything is a front-to-back sagittal plane type motion, 
and everything is emphasizing external rotation and extension in whatever sport you do, you're probably going to have some issues during your birth because you're going to have a harder time, one, releasing tension in your pelvic floor and opening different pelvic levels because there's not one movement that opens the entire pelvis. There's different types of movement patterns that are required to open, especially the lower half of the pelvis, which emphasizes more internal rotation. So lifting weights does not equal C-section, but moving your body only in one type of motion your entire pregnancy could cause some complications for your birth. Another common myth during pregnancy is to never, ever do core exercises. Don't you dare. Stop doing planks. Never plank. Never do sit-ups. Don't do V-ups. Now, I will say that some of those core exercises are probably not going to serve you for very long because they could cause some of that coning, which could worsen some abdominal separation or increase the severity of your diastasis. However, we need to think about what the core actually does. And it's not just our aesthetic six-pack abs that get really emphasized on Instagram where, like, you know, everyone's photoshopping. So just, just relax. But if we only focus on the core as our six-pack abs and we're only thinking about abdominal flexion exercises as the exercises that we need to do for our core, we're really limiting ourselves. The core has a lot of functions. It can resist movement. And so we can do that with so many other movements besides just planks. We can do farmer's carries. We can do one-sided squats or one-sided lunges. We're only holding weight on one side of our body. We can do one-sided farmer's carries. We can do bear crawls. We can do payoff presses. There's so many exercises that you can do to challenge your core's ability to maintain its positions that is beyond sit-ups and crunches. We also need our core to rotate and to twist. And so that's where a lot of those rotational movements are going to be super beneficial, like the diagonal matted pull-downs, upward chops like payoff rotations. Um, we have so many within our prenatal fitness program that we incorporate to help keep your core strong throughout pregnancy because we do want a core that does support your belly because that can help support baby's position. It's also going to support your comfort throughout your pregnancy. Not everything is about your baby. We also care about you and we want you to have a comfortable pregnancy. And so having a strong core is going to help you do that as well. And so yeah, the sit-ups and crunches may not be, one, they're not really that great of exercises anyways for your core. Like there are way better core exercises. There's a lot better core there. exercises. But you need to think about core exercises beyond like sit-ups and like the traditional ab exercises that are on the floor. You need to think about like how your squat and your deadlift are core exercises. Holding a weight on one side as a core exercise. Like bear crawls are core exercises. Sled pushes are core exercises. Like throwing things over your shoulders are core exercise. So you can absolutely do core exercises, but you may need to reframe to what you traditionally think of when you think of core exercises. The last myth that we're going to break down in this podcast, because we have been talking to you for a really long time, is you should never, ever lay on your back, especially with exercise. And this is something that I believed in my first pregnancy where I like refused to do anything flat on my back. Yes, there are some folks that being on your back causes symptoms for you where you feel really dizzy and lightheaded. And this may be more towards like the end of your pregnancy where you just don't feel good on your back. That's a sign that you probably shouldn't lay flat on your back. But in general, if you do want to exercise flat on your back, like you're doing a bench press, you're doing glute bridges or hip thrusts, like it's generally fine for the duration of the exercise. Now, I wouldn't like lay flat on my back for like eight hours. Like I wouldn't like sleep like that because it probably wouldn't be very comfortable for me. But for the duration of your exercise, like five to 10 minutes, being on your back is fine as long as you don't have symptoms. Now, if you're feeling dizzy, lightheaded, seeing spots, and you're just generally uncomfortable, we might want to incline the movement a little bit. And so instead of doing a flat bench press, maybe we do an incline bench press or we can do a standing chest press instead. So think about what the intent of the movement is and consider how you can change the position to help you feel a lot more comfortable. So Roxanne, could you explain why people are concerned about laying flat on their back? Because I realized I didn't actually explain why that's a concern. I just <laughs> told you that you can do it. <laughs> it's fine. So it's really like prolonged laying on your back when you're working out like doing fitness like a bench press like you're laying on your back for one minute maybe at that like anytime you're laying on your back for like a short period of time the concern is not necessarily there but the reason that they recommend not laying on your back is because you have two great vessels like really big blood vessels that is transporting blood from like the upper half of your body to the lower half of your body when your uterus gets larger and larger throughout pregnancy this 
and you lay on your back, this is going to create more pressure onto those great vessels in your back, leading to decreased blood supply to the lower half of your body to include the uterus. The baby doesn't realize that they're laying on the vessels that is supplying their oxygen and nutrients. Like it's not necessarily that it's going to happen every single time you lay on your back or that it even happens in your case at all because it could be dependent on the baby's position. It could also be just dependent on you as a person. So if you are starting to notice symptoms associated with a decreased blood pressure, so nausea, lightheaded, dizzy, or even like some people um, will feel like ringing in their ears or like fuzziness in their ears of just being lightheaded, these would be reasons that you should not lay on your back. And this is why they recommend laying on one side. Some people also say like, oh, like I only could lay on my left side. I wasn't allowed to lay on my right side because they said the left side is the best side. And this is true. There is one study out there that I read that there might have been like a, but basically they said the left side is the best side for blood circulation, but the right side was like one point less. So it was like 2.4 and then the right side was 2.3 and then laying on your back was like one point something. Um, hands and knees was actually the best, but like no one can sleep like that, obviously. Let's just walk around and hands and knees everywhere you go. So the left side is slightly better, but you can lay on both sides as well. Because so many people were like, man, I really just miss laying on my right side and I'm like... Who told you that? Lay on your right side. <laughs> or they're like, I really like, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm on my back. I'm like, it's fine. Most of the time, though, it's you probably woke up, though, because you might have been laying on your back for a longer period of time. And your body's like, hey, we need to like be we're being compressed here. We need you to get up and move. And if you are concerned, you can always just like put a little wedge behind you to prevent you from rolling on your back. If you get those symptoms, like Gina said, when you're working out and you're laying on your back, you can always throw a wedge behind you when you do a bench press. If you really like just want to get a bench press in, probably just doing an incline at that point would be better. It might be time to just modify. <laughs> um, but, but there are ways that you can still like do like the reclined work. Again, you're not doing it for long periods of time, so like it's most likely not going to cause issues unless you're feeling those symptoms. And so when it comes to doing core exercises, some of the equipment that I really love to use is the crossover symmetry. And for those of you that are watching our YouTube video, you can see the bands. They attach to your squat rack. You can also attach them to wall mounts or to your door frame, which makes them really nice because you can then do them anywhere. There are five six different colors but you can do just certain packages as well like you can just get the athletic package which is like novice the, package the novice package which makes me elite feel, package yeah it's like just pick the package that works best for you or get the entire thing we've had these on all of the squat racks within our gym they have lasted us years like i think some of these are like five or seven years old so they are pretty high quality and i think they'll replace them if they they handle i think they send you yeah they send you like a something yeah so these will break Really great customer service, but how we use these to do our core exercises is we still want resistance and like different planes of motion. So the rotational movement or like the chest presses and things like that, we can use the crossover symmetry. And that's how we typically use within our gym. And so if you're interested in getting your own shoulder system, they also have hip core bands, which are like glute bands that you can put around your legs. Those are nice because they're really cushioned. And so it's not like the normal latex band where it kind of like, if you have leg hair, I mean, I don't have leg hair, not because I shave it, just because I'm half Korean. But <laughs> but if you do have like hair like my husband, it like sticks to his hairs like the normal latex bands. The hip core bands are really nice because it's this like padded cushion. And so it doesn't like pull on your leg hair. But if you're interested in getting your own shoulder system or your own hip core band that Roxanne is now wonderfully demonstrating for you. You can use code MAMASAYFIT to get 20% off your entire system. Again, we love them. We have them on all the squat racks in our gym. We program with them throughout all of our programs. So if you're doing our prenatal or postpartum programs, you're probably already familiar with what the crossover symmetry system looks like, and we highly recommend them. We love them. So there are a ton of benefits to exercise throughout your pregnancy, not only for your baby, but also for you. And so this better safe than sorry mentality of like, well, don't lift more than 20 pounds, keep your heart rate super low. Actually, just don't even exercise. Just, just stay still 
and safe until your baby is born could potentially be harmful because prenatal fitness can help decrease the likelihood of prenatal complications and a prenatal complication could increase the number of interventions that you need at your birth, such as needing a medical induction or potentially even a cesarean birth. There's tons of benefits for your baby where one, it's going to help improve their brain development and their nervous system development, which then translates into life where they have better cognitive skills and better language skills, which is like a really big deal. I think that's a big thing for a lot of us. We want to try to set our babies up to go to Harvard or wherever. Maybe not. Harvard's kind of expensive. Go <laughs> get a full ride to get Harvard. Get a full ride to Harvard <laughs> just by exercising during your pregnancy. Um, but in all seriousness, like we're trying to do all the things to help keep our babies safe during our pregnancies, but also help improve their development, also keep ourselves comfortable, and also help support our birth outcomes for both us and our babies. And prenatal fitness can help you do that. It's also really great for like just mental health. Yeah, it can help your mental health both during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. There has been a lot of research to help support that as well. Yeah. So if you're interested in working out throughout your pregnancy, but you have no idea what to do, well, good news is, is we have a prenatal fitness program and we offer it in a lot of different options. We have our team builder app programming, which is going to be within an app. It's a list of exercise with demo videos. We have two variations of it. We have longer workouts for somebody who likes to work out in a gym and wants to work out with a barbell throughout their pregnancy. And then we also have a mini program where the workouts are about 15 to 20 minutes long. That can be done in gym, but it could also be done at home. There's less equipment required for it. Within the Team Builder app, it's a list of exercises with short demo videos, and you it's synced to your week of pregnancy, so you can start at any time. We have one-time payment options, which gives you lifetime access to the program for this pregnancy and future ones, or we can just do a monthly option. If you only need, like, two months, you can just grab it for two months instead of the full nine-month period. We also have our on-demand videos, which is a full-length workout video that you can watch and follow at the same time. For a lot of folks, they really like that because they're not super familiar with our exercises. I have made up a bunch of movements and I don't know how to, I don't know, I don't know how to name exercises. Like I haven't come up with like a Craig special. It's just like sideline hip abduction with chest press and a ball. Like they're very with long ball squeeze. So, <laughs> if you are not familiar with Gina's concoctions of exercises, watching a video can be really helpful as you follow at the same time. And we do offer that as well. We also have prenatal yoga. I always forget to mention that. We do have a prenatal yoga class. And if you are having more pelvic pain, we do have a pelvic stability on demand program which is really going to target the pelvic girdle with a bunch of different core exercises. So tons of options available for you. You can use code STORY10 to get 10% off any of our online fitness programs and our childbirth education course. If you bundle it, you get 15% off. If you bundle prenatal fitness with childbirth end and pelvic floor prep, you get 15% off. And then you could add a 10% off to make it it's 25. It's basically free. It's, yeah, it's pretty much free. Pregnancy math. Pregnancy math. It's good. So thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode... Make sure you subscribe to our channel, you follow us, you put in your calendar every Wednesday and Friday. We release new episodes and like set alarms so that you can listen to them when they come out. Um, leave a review, like, whatever you're doing on your platform to let us know that you like us, to validate our efforts, please do. We love it when you guys message us and say, hey, I love your podcast. It just it makes me feel so good inside. So just think about me and my needs. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Needed, which is a nutrition company focused on the perinatal time frame. They offer optimal nutrition and supplements for our pregnancies, postpartums, as well as our partners, because they are also part of this equation. And so you can use code MAMASTAYPOD for 20% off your first order or the first three months of your subscription. Subscriptions are a really convenient way to never forget to order your prenatal and always have it on hand. And Needed is a company that both Roxanne and I have used throughout our pregnancies, our postpartum, and what I'm using now in my prep to conceive phase. And so you can trust that any brand that we recommend is one that we truly trust and one that we have personally used. And so we really like them. They're a big deal. We like them a lot. This podcast is also sponsored by Crossover Symmetry, world-class training and equipment for pain, fitness, and performance, which is our resistance bands that we love in that hip circle that we talked about earlier. We've had them both in our gyms as well as our home gyms. We love the resistance bands and hip circles. And you can use code MAMASTAYFIT for 20% off your own Crossover Symmetry shoulder system. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.